0: A man was walking down a sidewalk one day, and glancing at the graffiti-covered wall next to him. He noticed a freshly scribbled message on the wall that stated, God is dead. And the message was signed, Nietzsche, referring to the 19th century German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who was noted for his widely quoted statement. The next day, the same man, walking down the same sidewalk, glances over at the same brick wall to see that the message that he had spotted the day before had been crossed out. And next to it, a freshly scribbled message that stated, Nietzsche is dead. The message was signed... God. Nietzsche's message is essentially the same message as that of The Fool. And as you came in today and were handed your bulletin, I'm sure you looked at the front and saw that the title of today's message is The Fool. And looking to see who was speaking... I know what some of you are thinking. This is tight casting if I've ever seen it. <laughs> Actually, in my men's discipleship group on Wednesday night, I asked the men to pray because I was preaching this week. And they asked, Well, what are you preaching on? And I said, I'm preaching on the fool. And don't take it personal if I happen to make eye contact with you <laughs> during my message. You know in the Psalms, two of the Psalms, Psalms 14.1, Psalm 53, one. we read, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And if God is dead, then there is no God. G.K. Chesterton, the 19th to 20th century English philosopher and lay theologian stated, if there were no God, there would be no atheists. Who exactly is this fool being spoken of, and how does he think? What is it that he believes, and more importantly, why does he believe it? The fool is essentially the modern-day skeptic of Christianity. And in our preaching series in the book of Proverbs, today we're going to take a look at The fool in the Proverbs. And through this series, we have learned that the Proverbs are ancient wisdom for today. The truths of this Old Testament wisdom literature are just as true and relevant today as when they were first written down centuries ago, and the vast majority of them among the writings of King Solomon. The Proverbs are a collection of concise sayings communicating life truths in memorable literary style. These wisdom sayings are found not only in the Old Testament wisdom literature of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, but New Testament examples of the literary form of Proverbs are also found in Matthew's gospel, in Galatians and in James' letter as well. And unlike some sections of Proverbs where a passage of verses may deal with a specific subject, many of the Proverbs are unconnected and stand alone. And therefore, I'm going to be using selected Proverbs as we examine the topic of the fool today. In the book of Proverbs, we find three terms being used interchangeably for the fool the simple, the scoffer, and the fool. And we find all three of these terms used together in Proverbs 1, verse 22, where we read, How long, O naive ones, Will you love being simple minded and scoffers delight themselves in scoffing and fools hate knowledge Who are the simple the scoffer and the fool Well we read in Proverbs 14:15 It says the simple believe anything The simple here describes the individual who is gullible or is easily led. This is one who is aimless and therefore is given to temptation. Because of their naivety, they are irresponsible. The scoffer is one given, who is not given to receiving instruction thus unwilling to heed it. Proverbs 13, 1, we see, a wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. This is a willful rejection on the part of the scoffer, and not because of any lack of intelligence on their part. We come to the word "the fool." It's translated through three different Hebrew terms, each contributing a specific meaning toward an understanding of the fool. Here in Proverbs 1724, it says, "Wisdom is in the presence of the one who has understanding." But the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. This is the most common of the three terms used for fool. This one appears nearly 50 times throughout the Proverbs. And this characterization of one who is obstinate in their ways is not due to any mental incapacity of their own, but it is a description of one who is that way by choice this proverb portrays one who is looking for wisdom in all of the wrong places the problem is one that is spiritual and not mental proverbs 12:15 here we read, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. The term translated fool here portrays a stubbornness of one who is unwilling or is impatient to receive advice. The fool therefore gives themselves away in the manner in which they are open their mouth and become quarrelsome with others who disagree with them proverbs 17:21 says to have a fool for a child brings grief there is no joy for the parent of a godless fool used only 3 times in the proverbs this term here for fool adds meaning to our understanding of the fool as one who is boorish or rude and ill-mannered. The fool is one whose mind is closed to the things of God as well as being closed to sound reason. Some of you as parents, I know, have experienced the grief spoken of in this proverb, while some of you have yet to experience such pain. It is a reminder of how you and I grieve the heart of God when apart from Christ we play the part of the godless fool. Now, why am I taking the time to explain these different characterizations of the fool. Inevitably, one or more individuals may have come to your mind as we skim through the various descriptions of the fool. You see, the fool is a real person. And not just some theological construct. And you and I have opportunity to engage the fool nearly every day. And today, what I would like to do is to focus on three aspects of the fool. What they think, how they think, and some of the implications of doing so. And you see, the fool represents, again, the skeptic of Christianity in our day. They're all around us. You and I engage them in conversation nearly every day, whether at work, at school, in our neighborhoods, with friends, and even within our own families. The fool is everywhere. And I want us to understand the fool, the religious skeptic of our day, so that we might better understand their way of thinking so that we might better engage them in conversation. Let's look at the rationality of the fool. Proverbs 28:26 says, "He who trusts In his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Implied in this contrast here is the fact that wisdom is taught by the Lord and is not something devised or derived by the mind of man. We live in an age of much information, don't we? And yet at the same time, we live in an age where wisdom is lacking. And popular belief in our culture today says that in your approach to finding meaning in life, you can either be scientific and rational, or you can be religious. Note the link in popular thinking, between scientific and rational. The implication here is that somehow you cannot be both religious and rational at the same time. Bill Kynes, who's senior pastor of Cornerstone Evangelical Free Church, located near Washington, D.C., States in his book titled, Seven Pressing Questions, quote, In the Middle Ages, you could say that it was impossible not to believe in God. Then in the Age of Enlightenment, it became possible not to believe in God. And now in our modern age, for many, it seems impossible To believe in God. He goes on to say that for many, belief in God is not only irrational, among sophisticated people today, it is entirely unfashionable. Well, contrary to popular secular thought, belief in God is indeed rational and provides the most rational explanation for the meaning of life and for why anything exists at all. Even the conscience of the fool agrees with this. Why? Because in Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us that God has set eternity in the heart of man. Even the natural man, every one of us in our natural state, have within us that understanding that there is a God, whether we choose to acknowledge that or not. And yet the problem with the fool is the same problem with that of the natural man as Paul speaks of in Romans 1. In the fact that the natural man, with that understanding that there is a God, they suppress the truth in their unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. Every time I read that verse about the natural man or the fool suppressing their truth in unrighteousness, I always think of the trash container in our kitchen at home. Kathy tells me, the trash is full. Take out the trash. And my tendency isn't to take out the trash. My tendency is to open up the trash container And push the trash down so that I don't have to deal with the trash. It's a picture of the natural man, the fool, suppressing their truth, the truth in their unrighteousness. They don't want to deal with the truth, they want to stuff it, to press it down. So they don't have to deal with it. Now why is it that the fool thinks the way that he does? I think the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where he says, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or wisdom, of wisdom, Proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Skipping ahead. My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And moving a little further ahead... Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. And finally, he concludes, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised, but we have the mind of Christ. You know, nobody has or ever will be argued into the kingdom of heaven, by reason. And yet, ours is a reasonable faith. You see, to the fool, the claims of Christianity are irrational because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Well, what of the morality of the fool? Proverbs 14, 9 we read fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is good will. The fool does so with no regard for the damage they do either toward God or toward their fellow man. There is the inability of the fool to explain the basis of morality as being something other than a human construct apart from the existence of God. In the same way, the fool is at a loss to explain the concepts of love and beauty as something other than merely a chemical reaction in the brain. There is the failure to understand that the non-material aspect of our being transcends the material world. It has no scientific explanation beyond the closed order of secular thinking. The fool does so because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. What of the plurality of the fool? Proverbs 18.2 states, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. In short, as Derek Kidner in his commentary put it, closed mind, open mouth. The mind of the fool, the skeptic, bristles at the alleged exclusivity of Christianity. And I personally find amusing the argument against the exclusivity of Christianity. Perhaps the most well-recognized verse in all of Scripture, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Or over in Paul's letter, Timothy, where he says that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now you tell me, what is exclusive about that? What part of the world or all men do you not understand? And instead, the fool says that all religions are equally right. And that, my friend is an exclusive statement in and of itself. You see, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And that is a statement of belief, an implied religious belief. G.K. Chesterton stated, when a man stops believing in God, He doesn't then believe in nothing, he believes in anything. The problem today is not that people won't believe in something, the problem is that they'll believe in anything. Paul Little in his book, Know Why You Believe, states, believing something doesn't make it true. Refusing to believe it doesn't make it false. You see, truth is not dependent on our belief in order for it to be true. Truth is truth, whether we believe it or not. The following is an illustration by John Wisdom, in Paul Little's book, Know Why You Believe. and It's an illustration refuting religious belief in the existence of God. Listen. Once upon a time, two explorers came upon a clearing in the jungle. In the clearing were growing many flowers and many weeds. One explorer says, some gardener must tend this plot. The other disagrees. There is no gardener. So they pitch their tents and set a watch. No gardener is ever seen. But perhaps he is an invisible gardener. So they set up a barbed wire fence. They electrify it. They patrol with bloodhounds. But no shrieks ever suggest that Some intruder has received a shock. No movements of the wire ever betray an invisible climber. The bloodhounds never give a cry. And yet still the believer is not convinced. But there is a gardener, invisible, insensible to electric shocks. A gardener who comes secretly to look after the garden which he loves. At last, the skeptic despairs. But what remains of your original assertion? Just how does what you call an invisible, intangible, eternally elusive gardener differ from an imaginary gardener or even from no gardener at all? Evangelical scholar John Montgomery Refuting this example, says that in Christianity, we do not have merely an allegation that the garden of this world is tended by a loving gardener. We have the actual empirical entrance of the gardener into the human scene in the person of Jesus Christ. We read over in John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We read, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So in closing today, I ask you, where do you stand? Is it forever settled in heaven between you and God? Or are you one with the fool, the skeptics of today's popular culture? Who says in your heart, There is no God? Or maybe you're just hoping there's no God. Then allow me to ask you a second question What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? In Pascal's wager, I ask you, are you willing to bet your eternal destiny on the inconsistencies of the popular thinking of the skeptics of our day? You see, if the skeptics of our day are right, then you have nothing to gain. And the followers of Jesus Christ have nothing to lose. However, if the skeptics are wrong, then you have everything to lose, and the followers of Jesus Christ have everything to gain. Will you pray with me? Father, we are so humbled this morning because of the fact that When we see the fool written on the pages of Scripture, in some sense, Father, we see ourselves, either as we once were or as we presently are. And Father, we are humbled in the fact that you condescended to make yourself known to us. Not only through what you have made, but through your written word, and more importantly, through your living word, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Father, today, as we consider the claims of the fools of our day, the secular skeptics, Father, may we prepare ourselves to better understand them and to better engage them with the reality of the truths of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that for each one of us in this room, that this word would have its way within each one of us. To the glory of Christ Jesus the Lord, we pray. Amen.